morning, everybody. Um, hope you guys have had a good week and a good uh, weekend thus far. Uh, I don't know where the temperature is if you're not in Arizona with me, but if you're with me, you already know it's blazing. So I think it's supposed to be 116 today. <laughs> so if you're not in Arizona, uh, but you want to wear shorts all the time, hey, listen, this is the place to come. I mean, it, believe me, it's blazing. So it's something, man. It's something to get used to when you can be up at 10 o'clock in the morning, even sometimes as early as 9, it's already over 100 degrees and doesn't really drop below 100, uh, really at all during the heat of July, but, but, uh, certainly not until at least 1 a.m. or later. So anyway, you get used to it. But it's beside the point. It has nothing to do with anything. Just me attempting to say good morning to a camera. Anyhow, um, we're going to jump into Colossians. Grab your Bible. Uh, we've been working through it. We're going to keep working through it today. Again, as usual, this is not church. This is uh, just getting in the Word, a little Bible study between me and you where I'm trying to unpack what we're studying together. We come together for church on Sunday nights. That's when we gather. We gather at our home for now, uh, but we're anticipating the next move coming probably pretty soon, I hope. But in any event, if you'd like to join us, we'd love for you to come. Uh, hit us up, social media or email or um, you know, through the website. Whatever you want to do to reach out to us, we'll tell you how to find us. We're in Tempe, Central Tempe. So if you're in the East Valley, come on. Or as I've said before, if you want to plan a trip to Arizona, come on. We will let you join us too. So anyway, jump in to Colossians. Remember the theme that we've been dealing with. You have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. That's Colossians 3.3. 3. That's kind of the running theme of what we've been talking about or who we are, knowing who we really are. So uh, this week's kind of part two. We've been looking at Colossians 1, 15 through 20. We've been looking at it in two different parts. And uh, so this this week we're going to look at 18 through 20, the back half of or the second part. So I'm just going to read it. This time I read the whole thing last time. But verse 18, Colossians 1, he's the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Let me pray. Lord, as always, I thank you for your word. God, forgive me um, for the ways and the times that I blow through your word, that I don't park on it, that I don't spend more time celebrating it, enjoying you through it. Lord, forgive me for sin. Just, Lord, I, I mean, I confess even now on camera, I, I, I am a sinner. I am someone who struggles with it. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for the cross, as we'll talk about today, that has secured my position with you. But I do pray, Lord, you continue to forgive me for the times that I embrace the flesh and defy you. And, and um, Lord, I just, times like that remind me so much of grace and how wonderful and incredible and unbelievable a God that you are. As we look at your word today, Lord, I pray that your voice is heard, not mine, uh, by my ears as well. And uh, as I always say, Lord, I am a student. You're the teacher. And I mean that. I always want to learn from you even as I'm talking because I pray, God, that it's your word that's being spoken. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. So uh, if you're back in Tennessee where we moved here from a couple of years ago, Tornado is a pretty 
fresh word, even though it's been a little while now. Um, but but I wonder if, you know, for those of you who are here in Arizona and, and others that might be watching this, if you've ever been through a tornado, if you've ever lived through one, I have, of course. If you've ever lived through a hurricane, um, things like that. They're really, they're terrifying. The noise is so loud. There's things that are flying around. You're not sure if the house is going to come down. Uh, you really just don't know what's going to happen. And all you really want is peace. I mean, that's what you're just like. Can we just have some peace here? But how do you make that happen in those moments? You can't. There's nothing you can do to bring peace to the moment. Uh, when Jesus was on the uh, boat with his disciples in the storm and he calmed the storm and the decide, you know, he, the, the term that he used was peace and the disciples, man, they wig out. They're like, who is this? Who, well, what, what kind of man is this that, that nature obeys him? Ultimate question. What kind of man is this that nature obeys him? Well, here's where we're going to go today. He is the one, the only one who can bring true peace in the one place that, above all others, is completely impossible for us to gain it, and that is with God. He is the one that can bring true peace with God. And you may think, hey, I'm a pretty good person, man. It's cool. I'm a pretty good person. And you might think, hey, I'm cool with God. Today might change your mind a little bit. Today you might realize that you're actually standing in a hurricane and failing to recognize it, that as sinful people, I can promise you, the word of God will tell you we are under his wrath without a doubt. And only Jesus makes peace possible. Only he does. So today, uh, as we got into it last week, Paul had explained that Jesus is first above all creation. And now he's going to add that Jesus is first above all new creation, as I'm calling it. So he's pointing out uh, in the first half of this little section that we're looking at, at, at 15 through 20, the first half he's pointing out kind of that the man Jesus is all God and created all things. The back half here, or the second part we're looking at now, is kind of, he's pointing out how that same Jesus, that same God, that God became entirely man in order to redeem mankind. Okay? So that, that's kind of where we're landing. And I want you to, this, it's real simple, the practical side of this. I just want you to consider it. Just like stop, man. Just stop. Be still. Think about this today, what we're looking at. Think about it later. Think about it throughout the week. If you belong to him, thank him for your salvation a lot. Um, and look. Let that sort of understanding and weight and gratefulness, let that drive your behavior rather than attempting to earn favor with him by doing a bunch of good deeds. Okay, that's where we want to pull out of today. So we're going to pick up where we were last week. Uh, last week we looked at the idea of Jesus is first above all. He's the creator. And we looked at three aspects of that. He was creator God. He was ruler God. He was sustainer God. Today we're going to jump in on the same theme and look at Jesus first above all, but as redeemer. We're going to look at him as conqueror God, peacemaker God, and redeemer God here, okay? So, verse 18, Colossians 1. We'll look at conqueror God here. Colossians 1, verse 18. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent or first. So, first of all, we, we got that firstborn word again. We had it last week. We got it again. He's firstborn. He's head of creation. Now, as I said before, it's like he's head or firstborn. He's head of new creation. Again, firstborn speaks of 
excuse me, firstborn speaks of authority and position, not of being created or birthed. We went into a lot of detail with it last week. And as firstborn, though, uh, he alone created everything, everything. So here he alone is able to redeem it all and make it new. There's a reason Paul started where he did with this. He is preeminent, Paul says, first, because he alone is able to violate or defeat death. To conquer death. He is the one and only one able to do that. He is first. He is preeminent. See, we're bound by the law. A law that he put in place. A law where he told Adam, you eat the fruit. The day you do it, you die. Okay, I'm not going back into that. You can look back in Genesis. The day you eat the fruit, you die. Paul would later say, as does a theme throughout the Bible, that the wages of sin is death. Right? Uh, as sons of Adam, that curse is in our blood. It runs through our blood. Jesus, though, is not the physical son of Joseph. Jesus is the physical son of Mary. And I'm not saying was, I'm saying is, because Jesus is still alive. Words matter. Jesus is the physical son of Mary, but he doesn't inherit the sin of his father because he is not, he, he, he was born of a virgin. He didn't have an earthly father to inherit that sin. So he alone is able to lay down a perfect life as ransom for mankind. To provide a path of escape from the law of sin and death, as Romans 8 puts it. And as such, he's the firstborn. He's the head because he was able to, he, he, he is able to do that. Ephesians 1 verse 22 says, And God put all things under his feet and gave him as head firstborn over all things to the church. But keep in mind, he's preeminent over everything, not just because he was good enough to be. He's preeminent over everything because he is God. Don't forget that. That's why he started where he started, all right? And you'll see more of it here in a minute. Paul uses the phrase here, all things, five times in five verses, you can look at it. All things. Five times in five verses. You think Paul's trying to make a point by preeminent, by conqueror, by the fact that he alone, none higher, all things are below him. He is preeminent. He is the conqueror of uh, sin and death. Also note that Christ is head of what? The church. Paul doesn't say he's head of rogue Christians running around doing their own thing. He doesn't say he's head uh, of positive activists, you know. Doesn't say he's head of nonprofits. He's head of the church. No plan B, the church. That's all there is to it. And that's where he's tying all of his rule to is the church. Firstborn anticipates a following. It's like the first fruits of the harvest. The first fruits were donated or given as an offering to God in the Old Testament. Basically, the very first things, the very first fruit that comes from the tree, we give to God because it's an anticipation that so much more will come. A great harvest will come. Same kind of language being used here, too. His resurrection as firstborn of the dead, he says there, for his church, it anticipates a multiplication of his church. And 
a resurrection, an ultimate resurrection of that church. Look at Romans 8, verse 37. You're familiar with it, but look at the language in light of that. In all these things, we as the church, Paul would say, are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure, verse 38, that I'm not going to go through it all, but you can read it. Death will not separate us from Christ. So death has been conquered. Last year, um, on June 3rd to commemorate D-Day, uh, there were 15 World War II vets that met at um, the Memorial Cemetery there in Normandy, and they met with these elementary school children, French elementary school children there, in order to share stories from their experience. So you had the oldest generation and the youngest generation last year here at the uh, cemetery in Normandy sharing their experiences, these American World War II vets with these um, French elementary children. And one newspaper recorded this. They wrote, uh, 10-year-old Martin Deshays marveled at the thousands and thousands of troops who laid or who landed on beaches when Germany occupied his country. They quote the boy as saying this, there are so many who have died for us to rescue us, Martin said. If they hadn't landed at that time, maybe we would be Germans now or wouldn't exist. Thinking back on 1944. Obviously, I wasn't there, but thinking back on it, like think about the joy and the gratefulness in France on that day. Think, think about the the French people and their enemies been conquered. Peace has been brought to you know war's not over, but peace has been brought to them, and, and and they have been set free, liberated. You know, think about what that felt like. That's got nothing on what Christ has done for us. Nothing on what Christ has done for us. He faced our true enemy. Death faced it. He brought us peace with God. The one person above all we cannot afford to be having as an enemy. And he freed us from the law that condemned us to death. I mean, in 1944, the battle wasn't over. But for those who had been liberated by the conquering army... There was some peace. Same thing for us. War's not over, but or the battle's not over, but we have been liberated by our conqueror, by Christ. And because of that, there's peace. So let me put that into perspective for you. The next time you read John 3.16, okay, everybody knows it. Next time you read John 3.16, let this come to mind and maybe think of it like this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Who didn't pave the way for us to follow with all of our good deeds and good works. He robbed the grave of its power. And he took authority over death in order to claim whosoever believes in him. And to establish their eternal life. That's what's up. You know what I'm saying? That's what happened. So he's the conqueror God uh, there and now let's look at him as the peacemaker God. Paul goes right into that verse 19, and, and these two, these last two, kind of pulling from the same thought. So some of this talk may overlap. But verse 19: For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, or, or finding complete satisfaction in, or or at home, like then and always. It says, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether. On earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. There it is. He's reconciling. He's making peace. We mentioned in that verse 19, in him all the fullness of God dwelt. We mentioned that last week. Talked about 
with the Jehovah's Witness say and stuff. But Paul clarifies in chapter 2 here of Colossians in verse 9 exactly what he means. Can't be more blunt than this. Colossians 2.9, for in him the fullness of deity dwells bodily. Bam. Shut the book. Jesus is God. It can't, can't get much more blunt than that. And just to revisit this once more, and then I'm going to leave it alone for the moment. But just to revisit it once more. Let me make a point here. Jesus cannot be another God, little g. Cannot be another God. Even if he's supposed to be the direct son of God, he cannot be, if you believe the Bible, because of the first commandment. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Now, I know there's some faith, faiths out there that will say, well, he's not before God. He's after God. It does. That's not what the word that's that's understanding nothing of the Hebrew language that is written in and just clinging to an English translation of a word. What it means in before me is before me in my presence. The camera is before me right now. It's not first and I'm second, but it's in my face. It's in my presence. That's what the word means. It's the literal translations have no other gods in my face, in my presence. And I would dare say if Jesus was another God and supposedly a separate God, the son, then he would be in the presence of his father. He said he was. That's not okay according to the first commandment. The fact is they are the same, okay? They are the same. Can I explain that? No, I don't have to. I believe it. So what Paul's getting at, though, is it's the fullness of God here, the fullness of God that qualifies Jesus for the position of both peacemaker and redeemer, okay? The fullness of God is what qualifies him. To be the peacemaker and the redeemer. And he's able to do it because he has conquered what he just said, okay? So here's the deal. If peace is needed, then look, it has to be acknowledged that there's hostility between man and God. It has to be acknowledged. Now, you, now, now man's point of view is typically, oh, man, God's always in my corner. I mean, me and God, we're cool. And we're good. I, I feel like he's in my corner most of the time. But has it ever occurred to you that he's hostile towards you? Not even neutral, hostile towards you. Has that ever occurred to you? It should. It's biblical if you don't belong to him. And it's scary. Even Job, who hadn't done anything in particular to draw the the wrath of God in any way, shape, or form, still felt the weight of it. And Job was looking for somebody that would understand his pain and could represent or plead his case to God. And he wrote this, Job 9, verse 32. This is a great little verse, a couple of verses here. It says, "For Job is, is speaking, he's saying, For God's not a man as I am, that I might answer him, that we should come to trial together. In other words, that we're going to appear in court. And he says, there's no mediator between us who might lay his hand on both of us. Or in other words, make peace. That somebody between us that can, can make peace between us. There's nobody that can do that, he says. Well, Paul says, yes, there is. Ephesians 2, 14. For he himself, he, Jesus himself, is our peace. Peace with God. First Peter three eighteen says, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he may bring us to God, make peace. Being put to death in the flesh, that would be his blood. That's the cost of redemption. We'll get to it in a minute. But made alive in the spirit, conqueror, spirit conquered. 
First John 2, verse 1, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate. Legal term, lawyer. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. So he reconciled, that word reconciled, he reconciled all things to himself. He, he, he settled the debt. He made things right. It's a heaven and earth. That's basically, he's saying all creation, whether it's angels or men or whatever, all of those things. And we'll come back to this again here in a minute. Like I said, a lot of this overlaps. But he's not wiping the slate clean for everybody and just saying, you know, oh, everything's cool. Everybody's good. That's not what he's saying. What he's doing is he's making all accountable to him, reconciled to himself. So he's, he's making everybody accountable to him. The new creation has begun with his resurrection, okay? The new creation's begun, and the day's going to come when it's fully established, and it's an ongoing action that's based on his conquest and his the peace he's established with God. He said, behold, I am making all things new, right? Um, and so, you know, listen, here's the deal. We need to remember, listen. While we were sinners, Christ saved us. While we were sinners, he died for us. While we were sinners, enemies, translation. While we were enemies, he conquered our true enemy. While we were enemies, he made peace for us. Think about this, man. But we also need to remember that it was him alone. It was no partnership. We didn't join forces and pull this off. He did it all on his own. It was him, period. It was his plan to reconcile all things to himself. His plan to settle the debt, to make creation right. That was his plan to place all things under him for his glory as its creator. And while we should be like super excited that he acted for us. We, we also need to remember it's all for his glory. It's all for his glory. Keeping, listen, keeping that perspective will protect us. And, and I'm telling you, it's really easy to slip out of this. Keeping that perspective will protect us from independence and arrogance. Like we don't need him in this. We don't need him in this, or I can handle this one myself. You know, you, we, we were dead in our trespasses and sins, and he conquered that death and made us alive, as Ephesians 2 says. So, last one, Redeemer God. You've got Conqueror God, Peacemaker God, Redeemer God. Colossians 1.19, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Verse 20 says, To reconcile to himself all. All things by the blood of his cross. Some of the most ruthless uh, gangs out there, and if you know me, you know I've spent a lot of time working with or being involved with gangs, whether on the streets or in uh, prisons. And um, there's an old saying that some of the more ruthless gangs go by, blood in, blood out. Basically what that means is that there's a bleeding required, yours or someone else's on your behalf, to Get in the gang, meaning you hurt somebody when I say on your behalf and not volunteering it. So you're either bleeding or you're bleeding somebody else uh, to get in the gang. But in order to get out, your blood is specifically required. What that basically means is you're, you don't get out. You die. That's the path out. So as part of the human race, though, we're trapped in a gang just like that. Just like that. We enter by birth. 
um, the suffering and the bleeding of our mothers that gives us this physical birth and the curse of sin in our blood that comes from our fathers. But the only way out of it is death. That's the only way out. Our blood spilled out death. That's it. And unfortunately, death delivers us into eternal darkness, eternal separation from God. Hopeless, man. Hopeless. Jesus entered our hopelessness. Okay? Jesus entered our hopelessness. He accepted the terms. He was born of a human mother, blood in. You know what I mean? But again, unlike the rest of us, he was sinless. He has a different father. It's not have an earthly father. And it was his death, blood out, that made it possible for our deliverance. The blood, his blood is the tool. Okay, his blood here is the tool for his reconciling all things to himself. It's his blood that redeems those who belong to him, that pays the price, that buys back, that redeems those who belong to him. The debt's settled. All are now accountable to the one who settled it, reconciled. The debt is settled. All are accountable now to the one who settled it. But for those who believe, the price is already paid. That's redemption. Those who believe the price is paid. Let me give you some verses. He says, making peace by the blood of his cross in verse 20. Romans 3.25. I'm just going to read a few here. He makes propitiation by his blood. To be received by faith. All right? Satisfies the wrath of God, basically, is what that means. By his blood. To be received by faith. Ephesians 1 7. In him we have, right now, presently, have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses, we have it according to the riches of his grace. Uh, Romans 5 9. Since therefore we have now been justified, past tense, by his blood. It's already happened. You have it by his blood. Redeemed. It's done. You are by his blood. When I keep saying you are, I'm talking about if your faith is in him. Remember Romans 3 said received by faith. I'm not saying that that's just for the world. I'm saying if your faith is in him, this applies to you. He says... Um, since we've now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Ephesians 2, wrath of God, by the way, tells you clearly that there is a need for peace in that sense. Uh, Ephesians 2.13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. It's not just that he gave up red liquid. It's not, I mean, that is true, but that's not what it's getting at. It's in the sense of there's no life without your blood. It's Think of it more of he gave up his life blood. That's what it's saying. Leviticus 17.11, talking about the Passover, says, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. That is a great verse because it's in the Old Testament, but it's God speaking. I have given it for you. Life is in the blood. It was God's sacrifice here with Jesus. Jesus bore the cross. Not us. All right, not us. Any, any, listen, anybody can die, okay? The fact of the matter is anybody can die. In fact, everybody will die. Dying does not reconcile anything for you. I'll give you a few reasons. For one, you're doomed to death anyway. We all are. And, and when you die, you die apart from Christ. You die in your sin. 
and you carry it into eternity, and you permanently separate yourself from a holy God. Permanently, eternally, alongside rebellious angels, which is why he says in there, heaven and earth together. Uh, number two, another reason is you're, you're powerless to present yourself sinless. You can't do anything to be sinless because you are already a sinner. It's already who you are. Only Jesus was sinless. And I'll give you another reason. Uh, you have no hope of escaping death after it happens. You can't get out. You can't get out. There's nothing you can do. Only Jesus could redeem, pay the price, blood out, and conquer, and make peace, and redeem. Only he can do that. Death had no hold on him because he was sinless. You see what I'm saying? Rather than be chained by death, he robbed it. He conquered it. He robbed the grave. Uh, the cross... <laughs> The very instrument that was intended to defeat him was the tool he used to defeat death for us. Put your brain around that. How cool is God? The very tool, the cross, that was intended to defeat him was the very tool that he used to defeat death for us. And note, by the way, it was his cross, his plan to reconcile, his cross, his blood, his cross, he put himself there. This is why Jesus said, no one told his disciples, no one takes my life. I lay it down that of my own accord, that I might take it up again. My plan. This is why he said it is finished and didn't just die. He accomplished the plan. Jesus' identity, too, real quick here, as creator is huge. The fact that Paul pulled in that in the beginning part of this, him, his identity as creator is huge because... If he's the creator, he's the one sinned against by creation. He's the one that man sinned against. Making him, listen to me now, it makes him the only suitable substitute for the sinner. If he's going to remain just. If God punished somebody else for your sin, then, you know, you could say how that makes you, oh, thank you, God, for doing that. But he's not just if he does that. That's not justice. He punished somebody else for something you did. Even if it's his own son and his son were not himself. He's putting your sin on somebody else. That's not justice. It's not what happened. He put your sin on himself. Therefore, he can remain just because he's the one sinned against. Let me read this. Uh, this is a quote from um, John Stott, who wrote a book called The Cross of Christ, which is epic book. If you've not read it, it needs to be on your shelf. It's a little heady, but man, is it so good. So anyway, this is what he says. Only man should make reparation for his sins, since it is he who has defaulted. And only God could make the necessary reparations, since it is he who has demanded it. Jesus Christ is therefore the only Savior, since he is the only person in whom the should and the could are united, being himself both God and man. He goes on to say, what we see in the drama of the cross is not three actors, but two, ourselves on the one hand and God on the other. God made man in Christ the Son. 
He said, it is the judge himself who, in holy love, assumed the role of the innocent victim. For in and through the person of his son, he bore, he himself bore the penalty that he himself inflicted. For in order to save us in such a way as to satisfy himself, God through Christ substituted himself for us. Divine love triumphed over divine wrath by divine self-sacrifice. The cross was an act simultaneously of punishment and amnesty, severity and grace, justice and mercy. Man, that's good stuff. Gives me a little bit choked. Keep in mind as we go back one more time to this word reconciling, uh, obviously God's not giving us a, a free pass to all creation like I mentioned before. But he's making them all accountable to him, all of us. So the point here is either you're part of that reconciliation by being redeemed by redemption through his blood or you're part of that reconciliation by an event described as every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess one of those two the same blood that redeems also proves you guilty it's the end of hope for the enemy and it's the guarantee of hope for those who belong to him both in that blood or look at it this way either you are redeemed and covered by that blood or you are caught and convicted by that blood. Blood on your hands whether you like it or not. And some of us would say we are covered by it. And some of us would say we are guilty and convicted by it when that time comes. Or as Hebrews puts it, you'll find that you have trampled under your feet the blood of Christ. The blood is everything at this stage. So what does it mean for us? I mean, we, we take up what Paul calls the ministry of reconciliation. We become the means of offering that blood to others. That's what our responsibility is as believers. Second Corinthians 5.18, Paul says, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him who, uh, him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We implore you. That, that's our job now is to share that reconciliation, to, to preach that blood, that hope of peace and redemption to the world and to implore them to respond. Remember, all through this chapter, I mean, these five ver- these few verses here, five verses, by him, verse 16, through him, verse 16, for him, verse 16, in him, verse 17, and now going on in verse 19, in him, in verse 20, through him, in the end of verse 20, by him or through his, by his cross. Uh, as we implore others, we need to keep that in mind. And remember, our own redemption, before we go imploring others, we need to remember our own redemption is all an act of God Jesus, through God Jesus, in God Jesus, and for God Jesus. Uh, William Temple, an Anglican priest, wrote, The only thing of my very own which I contribute to my redemption is the sin from which I need to be redeemed. Amen to that. So, 
Let me close out with this. Do you see the gospel here? Do you hear it? The gospel means good news. Do you see the good news in this? Do you hear what? I, do you hear the good news in what I'm saying? Consider the cross. Consider it. Consider the blood and your sin. Consider an angry God who finds satisfaction and peace between himself and you because of that cross. Consider salvation from an eternity separated from him. Consider forgiveness. You don't bear the weight of your sin anymore. It's forgiven. Cast as far as the east is from the west. Consider your debt is paid. Consider that you have reconciliation with God. Things are made right. The debt is done. You have peace with God. Listen to me. Will you embrace that today, please? Will you just repent? Just confess that you're a sinner to him. Say, I'm going to turn from this. I'm going the other way. I'm just going to own it. Lord, this is who I am. I'm sorry. And give it to him. Jesus, you can have me. Take me. Use me. Lead me. Guide me. I trust you. I believe in you. Man, please do that. Please say that. You know, tell him. And then holler at us. As always, we want to know. So we can celebrate it with you, so we can pray for you, so we can encourage you. Um, if you're already in the family, if you're part of the church, listen, he created all things, as we've already noted, and he redeemed his church here through him, by him, for him, in him. We've talked about that. Guess what that means? You were created and you were saved in him, through him, for him, and by him. This means... This is who you are. That is who you are. That is your identity. Right there. That's the most beautiful thing ever. You know? If the actions of God to reconcile us to him, to redeem us while we were yet sinners, the sinners while we were enemies, if, if that cost him the shame and the suffering of the cross, listen to me. What is too much for him to ask from us as believers? Seriously. I want to pray, but I want to remind you, you can contact us. We want you to. We want to hear from you. Um, Look us up on the web and shout at us, uh, especially if you've made some kind of decision today or there's something you want us to pray for. I don't care where you are, if you're here or or uh, anywhere around the world that you happen to be seeing this. doesn't matter to me. But particularly if you are in Arizona, particularly the East Valley, shout at us, man. We want to connect with you. We want to let you know that you're not alone. Um, and we, we want to we love you, man. That's what we want to do. We want to be family with you. So let me pray. Lord, thank you so much. Whew, thank you for the cross, Jesus. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for... Taking my sin, Lord, and and bearing that for conquering an enemy I could have never conquered. Lord, thank you for making peace between me and God. Lord, thank you for bleeding. Thank you for dying. Thank you for victory. Lord, I pray for anybody today that needs that. Let them have it today. Open their eyes. Call their name. Lord, I thank you for the privilege it is to be in your word and to spend time with you. And I pray, God, um, that you'll continue to bless us.
for years and generations to come with the freedom to open it, to read it, to love it, and to most importantly, share it with others. We ask these things that you would be glorified always. In Christ's name, amen.